Assalamu alaikum. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Islam Living History Program. My name is Dr. Muhammad Iqbal and I'm the host of the Living History Program. Religion plays a very important role in the lives of the vast majority of the people living on this planet. Almost all religions celebrate or commemorate an event which represents their most cherished beliefs and show an appreciation of divine providence and support. Christians, for example, mark the birth of Jesus with Christmas, and Hindus mark the return of Rama with Deepawali or Diwali, the festival of lights. And so for Muslims, Eid al-Azhar, or the Feast of the Sacrifice, is one of the most important religious festivals. Today, my regular fellow panelists of Living History, Arif Ahmed, and I are going to discuss the historical importance and relevance of Eid al-Azhar. Uh, many of you will know that Muslims celebrate two Eids in a given year, so perhaps we should explain this first. Arif, what do you think? Uh, thank you, Dr. Iqbal. So let's go right back uh, to the basics and explain what Eid means. Uh, the word Eid literally means festival or feast in Arabic. And many of our listeners will know that there are two Eids in the Islamic calendar. Uh, Eid al-Fitr is the one that comes first in the earlier part of the year, and Eid al-Adha, uh, which we're just approaching, that comes later. Now, Eid al-Fitr is a three-day-long festival, uh, and it's known as the lesser or smaller Eid, and that comes at the end of Ramazan. Uh, Eid al-Adha, uh, which is typically four days long and is known uh, as the greater Eid. And these, as I said, these two Eids celebrate and recall two distinct events that are significant to the story of Islam. Now, on Eid Day, uh, it usually begins with Muslims going to the mosque for prayers. They would dress in their best clothes and they would thank Allah uh, for all the blessings they have received over the last year. And it's a time when they would visit family and friends, uh, COVID permitting, of course, at the moment. Uh, and Muslims also give money to charity so that poor people can also feel part of Eid. Generally, it's a wonderful moment for families to come together uh, and for them to visit their friends and also the wider community, whether they're Muslims or non-Muslims. Eid al-Azhar, the Feast of the Sacrifice, comes at the end of the Hajj, an annual pilgrimage made by millions of Muslims to the Kaaba in the holy city of Mecca in Saudi Arabia. The Hajj, many listeners will know, is one of the five important pillars of Islam and should be made once in a lifetime by a Muslim, but only for those with means and providing that it is safe. Eid al-Azhar recalls the story of Prophet Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his firstborn son Ismail as a test of his faith. But just as Abraham prepares to sacrifice his son, God Almighty intervenes and a ram is sacrificed in place of Ismail. During Eid al-Adha, Muslims slaughter an animal to remember Abraham's sacrifice and remind themselves of the need to submit to the will of God. Now, Muslims regard Eid al-Adha, as Arif said, as the greater uh, Eid. Um, Arif, um, it would be good if you could enlighten our, our listeners uh, in relation um, to this. Yes, of course, Dr. Iqbal. So one of the reasons why Eid al-Adha is known as the Great Reed, uh, because it remembers, commemorates the sacrifice of Abraham, uh, which represents the essence of Islam. Uh, many people will know that the word Islam in Arabic means submission or surrender, 
and a Muslim who is a follower of Islam is one who submits or surrenders to the will of Allah. So the life of a truly pious Muslim should be a life of submission, as was illustrated by Prophet Abraham. Prophet Abraham, uh, many people will be unaware, is respected and revered by over three billion people today, and they regard him as the father of their religion. And this includes Muslims, Christians, and Jews. And Abraham is known as the patriarch of the Israelite people through his son Isaac, who was born to him through his wife Sarah. And he's also the patriarch of the Arabs through his son Ishmael, who was born to his wife Hagar. Now the Prophet Abraham has a very special place in Islam. Whilst uh, Muslims regard the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as the greatest of all prophets, the fact that they recite a prayer which is known as the Durud Sharif every day, numerous times, it shows the high station that was given to Prophet Abraham. And I'll just read that prayer. As I said, most Muslims are very familiar with this because they recite it every day. But the prayer is as follows. Bless, O Allah, Muhammad and the people of Muhammad, as thou didst bless Abraham and the people of Abraham. Thou art indeed the praiseworthy, the glorious. Prosper, O Allah, Muhammad and the people of Muhammad, as thou didst prosper Abraham and the people of Abraham. Thou art praiseworthy, the glorious. I think before we uh, go further, Arif, I just want to explain to our listeners that um, uh, this is a history program. Living History, after all, is a channel for uh, history programs. And because we are dealing now with uh, religious matters, often for Muslims, um, it's important to show reverence to all the prophets, in particular the Holy Prophet. So we often say, peace be upon him after his name. And after all the prophets, we say, alayhi salam. And of course, you know, I'm sure Arif would agree, our reverence is there. But because this is a history program and because we quote other sources as well, uh, we will just mention the names of the prophets, and if we miss Salam, please note that our reverence is, uh, is there. So just getting back to the story of Abraham's sacrifice, although there are many similarities uh, in relation to the story of Abraham and his mission in the Judeo-Christian tradition and Islamic traditions, it is important to note that there are significant differences also. For example, in relation to the sacrifice Abraham, the accounts presented in the Quran and the Judeo-Christian traditions are quite distinct. There is a clear-cut disagreement as to which son was going to be sacrificed, Isaac or Ishmael. The accounts in the Quran and the Bible also highlight the differences on the way Abraham interacted with his son whilst they prepared to go through with the sacrifice. Now, these are very important differences, and they go to the heart of each faith and what it says about the relationship between prophets and God and the relationship between a morally upright father and a loving son. So let us now explore in more detail the story behind Prophet Abraham's sacrifice and what it means in terms of a relationship between human beings and God. So Arif, take us, because Abraham is such an important figure, to take us through. Absolutely. So um, historically, if we go back to the beginning, uh, uh, the prophet Abraham is believed to have lived in Ur in Mesopotamia, which is current day Iraq. And this was around 4000 years ago. Now, we have covered uh, the history of this period uh, in our part four series on the Middle East, the cradle of civilization. Uh, and if you'd like to learn a little bit more of that, please listen to our programs 
which are available uh, on SoundCloud on the Voice of Islam website. Anyhow, most of the people in Ur and Mesopotamia at that time, they were idol worshippers. And despite all the efforts of Abraham, uh, which are extensively covered in the Holy Quran, uh, the people of Ur continued to worship idols. And so God instructed Abraham to take his family and to migrate to Canaan, which is current-day Israel, Palestine, in the Levant. Um, When Prophet Abraham and his family eventually arrived in Canaan, they faced a famine. So according to the Bible, he took his family to Egypt. Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis then describes in detail the complications that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Abraham faced in Egypt, and how the Pharaoh uh, of the time ended up giving Abraham an Egyptian lady described in Genesis as a handmaiden, uh, and she was called Hagar, and he also gave uh, Prophet Abraham some livestock. Muslim traditions also shed some light on this journey, but they state that Hagar was from a royal bloodline. So there's obviously a difference there uh, in understanding between the Islamic traditions and the Christian traditions. And we will elaborate on that more as we go on. So once Abraham returned back to Canaan, and after many years, Sarah and Abraham were still without a child. And of course, Abraham was quite elderly at that stage, according to the Bible. And naturally, they became very apprehensive, as God had promised to Abraham that he would become a progenitor of nations. So according to the account in Genesis, Sarah then offered her Egyptian handmaiden Hagar to Abraham with the intention that she would bear him a son. Hagar then, of course, gave birth to a son, and he was named Ismail, as stated in Genesis. And I'll read the particular bit in relation to this. And the angel of Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered by multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. This is in Genesis 16 and verses 10 to 11. So after the birth of Ishmael, Sarah, the elder wife of Abraham, was also promised by God of a child. And again, this is from Genesis, and I'll read the quote. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. So this is Genesis 17 verses 16 to 20. Now although Hagar and Sarah are not mentioned in the Holy Quran, they are referenced and alluded to via the story of their husband Abraham. The Hadith and the Bible both give detailed accounts of both Hagar and Sarah. Whilst Muslims honor both ladies as wise, brave and pious women, the Bible sadly presents Hagar and her son Ishmael quite negatively and in a condescending manner. Arif, um, I think it would be useful to just to see what uh, Sayyid Bukhari and the authentic tradition say in relation to this as well. Yes, of course. So, um, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Saab, the, uh, uh, the Holy Quran doesn't specifically mention uh, Hagar or Sarah, 
but the story of Hagar is given considerable detail in Sahih Bukhari, which is one of the most authentic books of the Hadith. And just to explain to our non-Muslim listeners, the Hadith are the, the collection of the sayings of the Holy Prophet. So this has been uh, narrated by the Holy Prophet. So there are six authentic Hadith books which are well-established, well-known. Sayyid Bukhari is one of the Muslim, another one, etc., which is commonly referred to. But sorry, Arif, ca- carry on. Yes, so in Sahih Bukhari, um, the account that's given is that under divine guidance, uh, Prophet Abraham brought Hagar and Ishmael, when he was still nursing, to a land called Paran. Uh, this is Faran in Arabic. Um, and in the later days to be held uh, the, in the land surrounding Mecca. More precisely, this was the valley of Baca, which is 700 miles southeast of Hebron. In later years, this name was to become Mecca, uh, which is obviously the Muslim uh, holy city uh, as we know today. And the objective of this journey, according to Muslim traditions, was to resettle rather than to expel Hagar to satisfy Sarah, which was a view promoted in Genesis and the Judeo-Christian traditions. So Abraham left Hagar and Ishmael under a tree and provided them with water and some dates. According to the narration in Sahih Bukhari, when Abraham turned to head back home, Hagar asked, O Abraham, where are you going, leaving us in this valley where there is no person whose company we may enjoy, nor is there anything? She repeated that to him many times, but he did not look back at her. Then she asked him, Has Allah ordered you to do so? He said, Yes. She said, Then he will not neglect us. So you can see here that Abraham submitted to the command of his Lord and patiently bore the separation from his wife and child. When he was out of sight from mother and child, he turned towards where they were at the sacred house and he prayed to Allah. And the prayer that he recited is as follows. O our Lord, I have made some of my offspring to dwell in an uncultivable valley by your sacred house, the Kaaba at Mecca, in order, O our Lord, that they may offer prayer or salat. So fill some hearts among men with love towards them, and O Allah, provide them with fruits so that they may give thanks. This is taken from Surah Ibrahim, um, chapter 14, verse 37. So indeed, this was a great test for Abraham, who had longed for a child, and now he had been commanded to take his wife and young son to a distant land which was known for its barrenness and hardship. And the significance of this sacrifice would become clearer to Abraham and the rest of the world much later. This is quite an amazing uh, story when you think about it, uh, a lonely woman and her child being left in that scorching desert. Uh, and those who know uh, the terrain, the, the deserts of Arabia are extremely hot. So in the scorching uh, desert heat, it was not long uh, before both mother and son suffered immense thirst. Thus, Hagar ran between the two hills around Mecca called Safa and Marwa in search of water for her son. After the seventh run between the two hills, an angel appeared before Hagar. He helped her and told her that God had heard Ishmael's crying and would provide them with water. At that point, God caused a spring to burst forth from the ground where Ishmael's heel lay, and thereafter Mecca became known for its excellence and abundance of water. 
The well was subsequently named Zamzam and became a holy source of water. And I think we should just add, uh, Dr. Iqbal, that this spring continues to this day. So when Muslims go on for pilgrimage in Mecca, one of the things they will often bring back is some of that water. And again, many of our uh, non-Muslim listeners will will, will, will understand or, or, or appreciate that people are bringing back some of this water and giving it as a gift to people. So it shows how long these blessings have been. Absolutely, um, the, the providence and mercy of God Almighty, you know, to have such a spring flowing all these years. And, it's amazing. Uh, you know, they're still trying to work out where and how it, it works. So the, the image um, uh, of Fega that emerges from the traditions narrated in Sayyid Bukhari is that of a woman of exceptional faith, love, resolution and strength of character. Once she hears from Abraham that God commands her and her infant son to be left in the desert, she shows no hesitation whatever in accepting her extremely difficult situation. She does not wail or rage or beg Abraham not to abandon her and Ismail. Instead, she accepts God's will and is confident that Allah will not neglect her and her son. She lets Abraham go without any words of recrimination or sorrow and returns to her infant son. With Allah's help, of course, and her sheer determination, she not only saves herself and her son, she manages to attract some people from the tribe of Jurum who were passing by into becoming their companions and partners in creating a new settlement. Hagar is seen as not only the mother of Ishmael, but the mother of all Arabs and a great civilization that was to um, be represented in, in the world. So Abraham's actions and his prayer also show that he truly believed that Allah would protect his wife and child. In his prayer, one can see that he believed that this uncultivated land one day will be inhabited with plentiful fruits and food. He had submitted to Allah's will, so that his prophetic mission of rebuilding the sacred house of God would in due course be completed. Yes, just following on from that, uh, Dr. Sab, uh, Allah's chosen servants, they're very often given powerful dreams as a way of guiding them and strengthening their faith. And according to both the Muslim and Judo-Christian traditions, Abraham had many dreams in which he was seen sacrificing his son, which according to Islam was Ishmael, and which according to the Judo-Christian traditions was Isaac. If I just uh, quote what the Holy Quran states on this matter, this is taken from chapter 37, verses 101 to 106 of the Holy Quran. Uh, it states as follows, And he prayed, My Lord, grant me a righteous son. So we gave him the glad tidings of a forbearing son. And when he was old enough to work, and run along with him, he said, O my dear son, I have seen in a dream that I am offering thee in sacrifice. So consider what thou thinkest of it. He replied, O my father, do as thou art commanded. Thou wilt find me, if Allah pleases, steadfast in my faith. And when they both submitted to the will of God, and Abraham had thrown him down on his forehead, we called to him, O Abraham, Thou hast indeed fulfilled the dream. Thus indeed do we reward those who do good. 
So we see here that Abraham had seen a dream in which he was seen slaughtering his only son. And when Ishmael was 12, Abraham came to visit them and mentioned the dream to him. Ishmael told his father that he would be ready to offer his life as a sacrifice. Now that's the version given in the Holy Quran for which for all Muslims is the word of God as it was communicated through the angel Gabriel to the Holy Prophet and the Quran took its format. Uh, and as Arif mentioned earlier, the Hadith had uh, traditions in relation to what the Holy Prophet had said written separately in the authentic books, others. The account presented in the Bible uh, in the book of Genesis is quite different. And again, I'll read all the relevant verses in relation to uh, this sacrifice. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took on his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So this is Genesis uh, 22 verses 2 to 9 I've read in detail. The Genesis account is much more detailed but it appears to have several contradictions and it poses a number of troubling moral questions. Let's deal with these a step at a time. Firstly, Genesis 22.6 tells us that the son who was to be offered as a sacrifice was not a baby as he carried the wood on the burnt offering on his head. Whilst Genesis 22.12 states that Abraham was to sacrifice his only son, it then inserts Isaac instead of Ishmael. As there was a 13-year gap between Ishmael and Isaac, so for 13 years, Ishmael was the only son and the firstborn son. So here you can clearly see uh, a real contradiction there because um, Ishmael had been born earlier due to the prayer. He was 13 years old, obviously able to work and run and do things with his father. 
whilst Isaac uh, would have been an infant. And so the only son at any stage was Ismail. Yes, absolutely. And uh, if we expand upon this a little bit further, it's clear from the Bible and the Holy Quran that the incident took place when the son, the named son, was able to do some work along with the father. And it sets the, the age of the child at the time of the incident at around about 12 or 13 years old, thus making it clear that it had to be Ishmael because Isaac had not been born at that time. Um, the Quran, after relating Ishmael's sacrifice, follows up in the same chapter with the good news for Abraham. So this is taken from chapter 37, verse 113 of the Holy Quran, in which it states, And we gave him the glad tidings of Isaac, a prophet and one of the righteous. So at the time of the sacrifice, uh, Prophet Abraham was 99 years old, and the only son that he had at that time was Ishmael. According to the Bible, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, so he could not have carried the wood on his head. And it seems that the writers of the Bible, while they're claiming the credit of the sacrifice of Prophet Abraham, they have deliberately changed Isaac with Ishmael and Moriah for Mawa, which is a hillock in the vicinity of Mecca. Now, regardless of whether it was Ishmael or Isaac, uh, the accounts in the Holy Quran and the Bible also differ in the way that the dream of, the, of Abraham is conveyed to his son and whether his son had a choice in going through with the sacrifice. Um, the narrative in the Quran shows that Abraham shares his dream with his son Ishmael and they only proceed with the sacrifice after Ishmael agrees to the will of Allah and to the fulfillment of the dream. In contrast, in the Bible, uh, Abraham does not even tell his son Isaac of his intent to sacrifice him, even after Isaac asks Abraham for an explanation. And this has led many commentators to question the moral authority of Abraham, who has been described as an infanticidal father who does not explain to his son and family what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. So if this is probably a good place now for us to have a, a break and then we will uh, carry on uh, after the break. Uh, but just to remind our listeners to please uh, give us their feedback on this program and other programs uh, as well. Um, there's over around 40 programs now on the SoundCloud and that can be accessed on the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and uh, when you go there under programs you will see Living History and when you go to Living History by the way we are updating our website soon so Arif just wanted to let you know as well um, Abid uh, will be helping us with doing that but uh, anyway so when you go to the program section of Living History you will see all the programs listed with their titles and um, you know they cover a wide variety of subjects uh, Islamic history uh, Chinese history Middle Eastern uh, history and we're going and, and a number of interesting personalities and characters uh, as well throughout uh, history who have contributed to uh, the development of mankind. So please um, do listen to those programs. Give us your feedback on those as well as this one. We'll be back with you shortly, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Ya Anur. The light. The one who illuminates all with his divine light. 
Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah and welcome to the second segment uh, of this program. So in this program we were talking about uh, the importance, historical importance of Eid al-Azha uh, for Muslims and um, uh, Muslim uh, culture. Um, we uh, looked in particular to the sacrifice of Abraham uh, and uh, the historical background to that according to authentic uh, Muslim traditions and uh, Judeo-Christian traditions. Um, the, we look at why there are differences with their Isaac was uh, sacrifice uh, which the Judeo-Christian tradition promotes and according to Muslim tradition, of course, Ismail the eldest and the firstborn son was sacrificed uh, and presenting some of the reasoning uh, why Muslims believe that was the case. So I think in the last segment, we just finished off the relevant quotes from the Holy Quran and the Bible uh, um, as well. Uh, and uh, we were discussing some of the differences. So to carry on, um, the Abraham in the Holy Quran uh, may not have understood or known God's intent in testing him, but he does not face an ethical and moral dilemma as does his biblical counterpart, which Arif uh, alluded to earlier and we were discussing. In the Holy Quran, Abraham tells his son of his dream and the son also has a role in trying to understand and interpret it. Thus, both father and son witness their absolute faith in front of one another. And both are willing to go through with the sacrifice and submit to the will of Allah. Now, from an Islamic point of view, had Abraham set out to kill an unsuspecting son, it would have robbed the son of all moral agency and made him into a victim of his father's tyranny while also making the father a murderer. The, the fact of the matter is that Abraham's dream was not an indication from God to physically slaughter Ismail. Physical human slaughter has never been a sacrifice that God has demanded in any age through his prophets. In many of our previous programs, we've covered different civilizations throughout the world which commonly used human sacrifice and slaughter to justify their various gods, whether these were gods of nature with mountains and volcanoes and rivers and, you know, the, the bulls and idols that were taken. Uh, and often, um, uh, you know, young uh, girls and men were sacrificed to please these gods. But certainly that was never a part and parcel of what God uh, directed his prophets to do. So this, this needs a, a, a clear understanding and appreciation. The, the slaughtering which God sought was that of a metaphoric nature, a slaughtering of the inner self. In reality, God's desire was for Abraham to instill within his son such qualities as would make him a true servant of God, wholly devoted to him. This slaughtering of the ego, the selfish passions, desire and satanic influence was a far greater sacrifice than anything else. And I think it's also important here, uh, Dr. Bell, just to remember that prophets are not only messages of God, but they also serve as examples to their followers. 
So um, from my perspective, it makes um, no sense to have a prophet that's uh, going to physically sacrifice his own son. You know, that would confuse um, the people that he was brought to guide. They would be thinking, well, if a prophet or uh, somebody who's come here to guide us is sacrificing their own son, then what are we supposed to do? And I think this interpretation about, um, in effect, slaughtering your own ego and passions, this makes, uh, to me at least, a lot more sense uh, as the type of sacrifice that God had wanted Prophet Abraham to, to undertake. Well, this is why it's so important that when we review what God had wanted from the prophets, and certainly from the Islamic angle, one looks at what is said in the Holy Quran. Because only God knows the true historical developments that took place of what God said and what was communicated. Quite often, uh, when accounts are written by disciples, you know, 100, 200, 300 years later, the stories are changed and you have some sort of question marks that arise. And clearly, we've pointed to some of the differences in the Bible and the Holy Quran. So for Muslims, the um, Holy Quran is the Word of God and the Hadiths are separate, you know, uh, writings and sayings. So it's very important. So, uh, as I was saying, the, the important message was for God Almighty to say to Abraham that you need to submit to the will of your Creator and you need to train your son to be able to do that. And as we uh, read from those particular verses, both the father and the son actually displayed that. So, the vision in many ways had already symbolically been fulfilled in Hagar and Ishmael having been left by Abraham in the valley of Mecca. Uh, a land that, as we explained, was arid and barren waste. Uh, that brave act had, in fact, symbolized the sacrifice of Ismail. As Abraham did not wish to show any weakness on his part or that of his son, he decided to interpret the dream literally uh, and submit fully to the will of Allah. And in reality, Abraham was not required to fulfill his vision in the literal sense this is why God Almighty intervened, and the timing of this intervention is also significant. The reason why it's significant is because, in a sense, God allowed Abraham to move forward to the final stages of the sacrifice and then commanded him to abstain from it, which was a way of saying that this horrible act of sacrificing humans needs to be abolished and humans should not carry it out. And there's no better way of saying to Abraham that, no, uh, a, a, a ram will be sacrificed in its place as well. So it's such an important lesson morally and in every other way as well from an Islamic point of view and shows really the wisdom and justice that's conveyed in the Holy Quran and the true teachings of God Almighty as well. Tarif? Yeah, yes. absolutely, uh, Dr. Bell. And I think it's this willingness on the part of Abraham to sacrifice everything for the sake of God, everything that he held dear in this world, and the deeper philosophy of inner sacrifice and ultimate devo devotion to the cause of God. This is what's celebrated in the annual pilgrimage or Hajj, and also in the celebrations of Eid al-Adha. Uh, and it's these very deeper values that are metaphorically expressed by the slaughter of animals during Eid al-Adha. So in this festival of sacrifice, Muslims are reminded that in order for them to be true Muslims, just as Abraham did, they must be willing to offer with selfless devotion everything that they love and cherish to attain the pleasure of God and to serve humanity at large. And they must do this with a deep sense of compassion 
and true love. The concept of sacrifice, it holds a fundamental importance in every religion, and sacrifice for the sake of God and for the sake of humanity is of paramount importance. The Holy Quran gives an illustration uh, of this from the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in the following words. It says in the Holy Quran, My prayer and my sacrifice and my life and my death are all for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. So we can see here that only when our entire uh, life revolves around the service to God and the service to humanity can we truly attain the pleasure of God. And both Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Dah, they come every year to remind us of this very important truth. In fact, sacrifice is such a central part of Islamic faith and the religion of Islam. Um, In the month of Ramadan, uh, for example, Muslims give up their food and drink and fast for 30 days as an act of sacrifice so that they are able to feel the pain of those who are less fortunate than them uh, so that they are prompted to reflect within their own souls and not only strengthen their relationship with God but also to forge stronger bonds with their fellow human beings. Now, Eid al-Fitr marks the end of Ramadan and a new beginning for all Muslims. It is celebrated to remind us that just as we felt the pangs of thirst and hunger in Ramadan for Allah's sake, we must continue to sacrifice our worldly comforts to ease the pain and suffering of the world around us. And I would just say there again, uh, Dr. Iqbal, that again, um, in recent times, it's... uh, it's become a bit of tradition in Ramzan that many non-Muslims might fast for a day uh, in solidarity with their with their Muslim friends or with their Muslim co-workers. And the feedback that I often receive from uh, non-Muslims that fast is, is, is how difficult it is or how much they feel that one day uh, of fasting. And they often say that, you know, we, we don't understand how you're able to fast for a month. I mean, it's not just the physical sacrifice, it's the emotional sacrifice and that willingness to give up everything for the sake of God. So whether you're a Muslim or a non-Muslim, or you don't believe in God at all, I think people understand that Ramzan does have uh, a deep meaning uh, regarding sacrifice, and that you are doing it for the greater good. Absolutely, and Eid al-Azhar, which comes shortly after Eid al-Fitr, is there to reinforce this sense of sacrifice, and uh, you know, reminders of the wonderful sacrifice of Abraham and Ishmael. Um, it comes to remind us that giving up our worldly comforts is indeed important. But in order for us to be truly devoted servants of God and true Muslims, we must be prepared to offer an even greater sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, which is the willingness to exert all our strength and give every ounce of our being until our very last breath to seek the pleasure of God and serve humanity, just as Abraham and Ishmael were willing to sacrifice every fiber of their own being and all that they cherished as an expression of pure, selfless devotion to seek the pleasure of God. This is the greater sacrifice that is taught to us in Eid al-Azhar, and this is why Eid al-Azhar or the festival sacrifice is the, the greater Eid, which you mentioned earlier on, uh, Arif, uh, as well. So just uh, following on from there, uh, Dr. Iqbal, what actually happens on the day of Eid? Um, on the day of Eid, there are generally two kinds of people. 
there are those individuals who are somewhat happy and there are those who are truly content. Uh, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Din Mahmud Ahmad, may God be pleased with him, he expounds on this subject when he states, Eid is determined by the happiness of the heart. Though the superficial festivities hold minor benefit, Eid remains contingent upon the heart. The, han- the heart cannot perceive true happiness without contentment. Contentment cannot exist where fear prevails. One cannot be safeguarded from fear until he has full certainty of a guardian who cannot be challenged. That God, guardian is none other than God Almighty. Thus, the true Eid is that one becomes certain that God is pleased with me. We we mentioned uh, earlier on that um, Eid al-Adha obviously is related to the performance of uh, the Hajj, the pilgrimage uh, to uh, Mecca. And in the Holy Quran, obviously, we've shown um, the, how the sacrifice by Abraham uh, was made. And clearly, as his son grew and the communities became established around Mecca, which became Mecca later on, um, Abraham visited them regularly, and between them, they rebuilt the Kaaba. And uh, this is why it's such an important place of worship. Now, interestingly, um, the, 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 word is re, the word is rebuilt because as a first house of worship, we don't really know how far back this goes. Um, and there's a wonderful uh, narration uh, with the, uh, the uh, Mu'idin ibn Arabi, uh, our great uh, Sufi uh, scholar uh, from Spain who you know, traveled throughout the Muslim world. He narrated once that in a, a vision he saw a relative of his going around uh, the Kaaba and um, he said, are you related to Adam? And he says, which, uh, which Adam do you speak of? And then suddenly he recalled the Holy Prophet Wasallam that uh, there were so many Adams that had come. I can't remember exactly the narration, but it shows that mankind had been going through different cycles of different Adams and the Adam we speak of in the Holy Quran narrates in detail is the most recent Adam uh, going down to, you know, the great patriarch Noah and then Abraham and onwards. So Abraham and his son Ishmael uh, rebuilt the Kaaba, which became such an important place. And now you see millions and millions of people flocking uh, around the Kaaba and many of the rites, for example, the running between Safa and Marwa, the, the two hills that we mentioned when uh, Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, had to run. You know, that's quite often uh, repeated. The throwing of the stones uh, as well in repelling the uh, Satan as well was also, you know, part of Abraham and uh, uh, his desire to repel uh, Satan. And, uh, you know, the, the holy water of Zamzam uh, as well. So these are some of the uh, sort of things that go back, what, you know, so many hundreds and thousands of years for Muslims and that are so important. Often, I think, Arif, I believe, you know, we, we celebrate these things in our current day and age. We forget this important story that we've just tried to convey to our listeners. People, you know, cook lots of food, wear lovely clothes, celebrate and go. But I wonder sometimes whether they really go back and they really need to because 
It's a fascinating, fascinating story for humanity. Uh, I think it's a very, very important point that you make, uh, Dr. Ibar, because obviously uh, the tradition, especially on Eid al-Adha, is, like you said, uh, to put on nice clothes, go to the mosque and spend the rest of the day eating food and uh, generally feeling, you know, very full by the end of it. And I don't think um, most of us really think about the true spirit, the true sacrifice of Eid al-Adha. We just celebrate it as a festival. And I think it's important to read the history, to understand, to read the narrations in the Holy Quran, in the Hadith, and even in the Bible as well for comparison. And only then can you really get a full understanding and a full appreciation of what uh, Eid, is, Eid, especially Eid al-Adha, is about. So I would urge all of our listeners, this information is you know, very easily available, and it's important to read that so that we don't forget what Eid is really about. No, this is uh, something that uh, worries, you know, many of the thinkers. Because when you look at the commercialization of many of these festivals, whether it's Christmas or, you know, some of the other festivals, whether it's Hindus, Muslims or whatever, there's just so much commercialization. Um, and it's just sad that people forget the, the inner message uh, and the focus on, you know, uh, um, even when you look at the animals that are being prepared for sacrifice and some of the stories that you hear, um, it is it, very, very sad that they look at just the material uh, aspects of it rather than the deeper message. So I think it's been a quite a, a fascinating discussion, Arif. Do you think there's anything else we need to add to it? Because I want to spend the last few minutes after I wished uh, our listeners uh, Eid Mubarak, of course, but I want to say a few things about our program. Yes, I think it's just to say Eid Mubarak to our listeners. I uh, hope they have a happy Eid. Um, hopefully that this Eid, there are fewer restrictions around COVID and that they'll be able to spend a bit more time with the family than they have in the previous Eids. Yes, I recall uh, um, last, was it the last, when they cancelled the Eid uh, uh, last year, wasn't Correct. it? yes. Um, so uh, it was uh, yeah, a difficult moment uh, for people, but uh, uh, I'm sure listeners uh, will have a good Eid. And once you've celebrated, I would urge you to listen to our programs on the Living History uh, channel. Um, there is so much knowledge and wisdom. You know, when we started the program, if you remember, um I said one of the reasons we want to do the Living History programs is because the very first revelation of the Holy Quran that was sent to guide mankind on the path of righteousness, the very first revelation said, uh, mankind, uh, um, I developed you biologically, so from a clinging form as it was. Uh, And uh, that's the embryological development of human beings for so many millions and millions of years, really. Uh, and the nine-month uh, clinging baby in the womb is also a reflection of that evolutionary biological development. But then God Almighty says, I taught you by the pen what you knew not. Because, you know, mankind was taken through a development phase where um, simple things were taught and then more and more. And then you get to, you know, the the major prophet that we're certainly familiar with, which was Adam al and he, God taught him the names, and uh, of course, you've got the story in the Holy Quran. And then when you get the, you know, the great patriarchs, and Noah's story, of course, is so deeply given, and um, the pain he went to to guide mankind on the right path, and again, how mankind kept on going uh, astray. And then we get to the great patriarch Abraham, of course, who's so central to us. 
Uh, and you mentioned earlier on, you know, the linkage through, with Prophet Abraham and our Holy Prophet ﷺ, Prophet Muhammad, the Rud Sharif, as we say, as we pray every day, uh, five prayers a day and so many different rakats that we do. And that prayer is so important. Who knows, um, you know, where God Almighty will take mankind in time, but it will be through the teachings and example of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. So our Eid is basically not just remembering um, the great uh, uh, sacrifice of Abraham, but also the great gift that God Almighty has given us in the teachings with the Holy Quran and uh, uh, Islam as well. And because the Holy Quran covers so many different aspects of history as well, uh, you know, I think it's important for listeners uh, to listen to some of the programs we've done, and there are many other channels as well and other books that they should read as well. So, you know my passion for history. <laughs> Absolutely. And I would say to our listeners, you know, we get very good feedback from all of you. First of all, thank you very much for listening to our programs and for the great feedback that you give us. But um, hopefully the programs will give you a small insight into the different topics about the great civilizations and their development and also why some of those civilizations obviously came crashing down. But um, these days, uh, it's very easy to do your own research in your own time and uh, hopefully these programs will prompt you to do research in different areas or to read up on subjects in different areas. Many of the subjects you may have heard a little bit about but never really fully understood. Just as we've talked today about Eid, you know, people understand it on a very superficial level, many people these days. But when you dig a bit deeper, there's a lot of information, historical information there, which you need to read and understand and digest. And so hopefully each of our programs is a little bit of an insight into a subject which you can then, in your own time, research a bit more, understand a little bit more. And I think it's very important to understand the past so that we can understand where we're trying to get to in the development of the history of mankind and also our future. Um, As I said, we have a passion for history. We're very much into it. Other people may see it as a little bit boring. Uh, That's not the opinion that we have. And as I said, please, if you listen to some of our programs and... um, the ones that you find of more interest, please do your own research in your own time. I would like to request prayers for the whole of our team. I know you hear mine and Arif, uh, her voices a lot, but behind the scenes, Shazad Kassasab, our technical lead, does great work in uh, putting these all these programs together. So please remember him in your prayers as well. Rao Sab, our studio manager as well, who's contributed widely. And uh, colleague Amjad Hussain, who's uh, made so many programs with us uh, uh, Arif as well. And of course, there are other, you know, Yusuf Aftab and uh, Professor Amr Sharif as well. And Abid Ahmed uh, will be developing our uh, website. So please um, pray uh, for all the team members. And uh, inshallah, we will continue making interesting programs. Too. I think, um, again, reminder, uh, Arif, so website www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, so go to that website to listen to these programs on the SoundCloud. And I know um, this the live stream is broadcast all around the M25, uh, the, the London area, but Manchester now apparently also uh, has these broadcast through live stream, so you can listen there. And hopefully one day in Yorkshire, where we live, where we're based in the Al-Madi Masjid, we might get that as well, because it's great when you're driving in your car and listening to the radio live. You know, we have to obviously go into the website and listen to the SoundCloud um, but uh, it will be nice once we get that as well. And inshallah, you never know. You know, MTA started as a very embryonic project, and by the grace of Allah, now look how widespread it is and how successful it is. 
so many different programs, satellite channels, etc. And inshallah, with the voice of Islam, we'll do that. So uh, um, again, Eid Mubarak to everyone and Eid Mubarak to my colleagues in the, the team uh, as well. Uh, so I hope these programs will be broadcast and rebroadcast at the different uh, Eids that we uh, celebrate. So until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.